So the Bible reading is Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's great to be together this morning. Uh, if we've not met, my name's Stuart Holman. I'm a senior associate here. And it is so good to have such a, a wide range of people uh, as we gather together for church. Here in the building, we've got kind of representatives from uh, our 8 o'clock, our 10 o'clock, and a few have snuck in from 5 o'clock, I notice, as well. So it is so good to uh, be together with uh, you all in the building. And a uh, special shout-out to Mal York and family uh, who are on holidays, but I know that they're checking in and they're with us right now. Good to see you, Mal. Well, it's uh, a real privilege to continue our series in the book of Jonah. If you have access to a Bible, please do open it at Jonah chapter 3. And as we come to this, we realise that sometimes in life we need second chances. Uh, we make mistakes, poor choices. You can call them whatever you like, but cars crash, markets crash. Relationships crash. That's the kind of world that we find ourselves in. It might well be true that we deserve to suffer the consequences of our failures, particularly if we've caused suffering to others at the same time. But if we're caught in a crash, we want to know if there's a way out, if there is a second chance. Our series 
on the book of Jonah is subtitled Jonah the Reluctant Disciple. And I suppose the title could have also been Jonah the Reluctant Missionary or Jonah the Reluctant Prophet. Jonah is reluctant, but he is reluctant in the face of God's active pursuit of mercy. The book is very much about God, the God who gives second chances. You see, the God of the Bible is not kind of itching to pull the trigger on judgment and condemnation. Jonah's story shows God goes to incredible lengths to have mercy. He's not impatient to send people to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish. In fact, he wants to have mercy. We already know uh, much uh, of Jonah, uh, not only from this book, but we know from other parts of the Bible. Jonah is a prophet uh, around in Israel, around about 786 to 746 BC. This is the time when Israel had become so disobedient that God was warning them through his prophets that if they didn't turn back, then they would be invaded by the Assyrians, the kind of emerging superpower right on their doorstep. The tension is building. If God wasn't merciful, he wouldn't have wasted a couple of centuries sending prophets to warn his people. And now in Jonah's day, the time is running out. And from Jonah the prophet's perspective, I'm sure he was desperate for God to have mercy and for the people to turn back to him. But... There's always a but, isn't there? But Jonah's big problem was he'd been given a new assignment in Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh on a preaching tour there. It's not a very nice place. Here's a photo of Nineveh taken, Nineveh taken just last month. These days it's called Mosul and it's in the northern part of war-torn Iraq. It is a place that has been the epicentre of wars for centuries, as it is now, it was in Jonah's day. The evidence is everywhere. This is a, a recently uncovered mass grave just outside Nineveh. Nineveh is uh, on the banks of the Tigris River. Uh, in Jonah's day, it was in fact the economic powerhouse and capital city of this rapidly expanding Assyrian Empire. Uh, here's a map. I love maps. Um, this map actually shows the expansion of the Assyrian Empire. The kind of mid-green bit is the size of the Assyrian Empire during King David and King Solomon's reign. But the light green area is the same empire about 100 years after Jonah's ministry of prophecy. So putting this all together in context, Jonah is sent to preach in the capital city of Israel's biggest enemy, their main enemies. We, we know now why Jonah in chapter 1 wanted to run to Tarshish, run away from God, away from Nineveh. He feared and he hated the Ninevites. And they very likely would hate him. And what's the message that Jonah is supposed to bring to Nineveh? Where we're told in the very first verse of the book, Jonah, the word of the Lord comes to him, preach against Nineveh. Imagine that. Here's this little prophet from a faraway place 
turning up into the capital city of the big empire saying, my God's angry with you and if you don't repent, something bad's going to happen. Imagine how that would feel. Imagine how that would go. So filled with fear and hatred, Jonah runs away down to Joppa, down onto the boat, down below deck, and then because of the storm, you remember he's thrown overboard by the sailors, down into the ocean, down into Sheol. And that's where he prays that prayer that we looked at last week, Jonah chapter 2. But God gives him a second chance. God hears his prayer from inside the fish and rescues him. The fish brings Jonah up, back up to dry land, which is where we begin chapter 3 with that second chance for Jonah. If you've got your Bible open, have a look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Do you notice how this is almost word for word the same as 1 verse 1? Okay, except this time Jonah goes. He obeys the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. And I'm sure that there were plenty of other prophets in Israel, better prophets, smarter prophets, more eloquent prophets at God's disposal. But Jonah gets a second chance. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Now, this second chance, mind you, it's not a shot at redemption. You know, an opportunity to make God to make good or to pay back. This is not redemption. God has already done that. God has already saved Jonah from the sea by sending the fish. God had already saved Jonah from death. Jonah's second chance is a chance to join in the work of God. Jonah's obedience here means that the Ninevites get a chance as well. Through Jonah, they have the opportunity to hear God's word and to do something about it. God is the God of second chances. Just as an aside, I wonder if you need a second chance. Because I don't. I need a third, fourth, fifth, hundred and fifth chance. God offers us a fresh start when we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. And we become a Christian. And then the third chance and the fourth and the fifth and the 500th come later. God is like that. Even though his judgment surely comes. God offered Jonah this second chance. God offered the enemies of his people, the feared and hated idol-worshipping Assyrians, a chance, an opportunity to turn to him, and he offers it to you and to me. And if God is the God of second chances like this, shouldn't we be ready to forgive one another? I know that there are some tricky ethics around forgiveness and criminal behaviour and how to do that right, and we also need to talk about domestic violence and, and the abuse of so many vulnerable people. Obviously, justice and forgiveness in the context of those deep and hurtful issues 
is something that the St Andrews pastoral team would love to talk to you about and help you with personally. But long before we get to those extremities of forgiving one another, there are the basics of daily life forgiveness. Because we are imperfect and we are fallen and we live in this chaotic world, messed up relationships are going to happen. That's a fact. It will. The important thing is that we resolve our conflict through forgiveness. Now, the problem that we have with forgiveness is it is so unfair. If you hurt me and I'm going to forgive you, that means I've got to absorb that hurt within me. Forgiveness means that I'm not going to return the hurt back to you, maybe with a little bit of interest. Instead, the hurt stays with me. Playing fair would mean I would hurt you back at exactly the same amount that you hurt me, right? But forgiving you means I choose to hold the hurt with me. You don't owe me anything, and I don't demand anything from you. I forgive you, and I choose to absorb that in myself. It's unfair. But that's how God's forgiveness leads us to live as his people with one another. God treats us this way. He forgives us at his own cost. And we try to follow in his footsteps. Now, as this story of Jonah develops, we're going to learn a lot about forgiveness, particularly when we get to chapter 4. But even here, right now in chapter 3, we're up to the point where God has sent Jonah to the Ninevites to warn them This is the chance to warn them of judgment. What's going to happen when he gets there? Well, look with me at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This could well be the shortest sermon ever. It's actually only four words in the Hebrew. 40 more days destruction. Wouldn't you love a four-word sermon like that? Where everybody listened. Maybe it's just a summary. Who can tell? But have a look at what happens. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. Now, we're not perhaps familiar with their customs, but when the Ninevites stop eating and they put on Hessian bags for clothes, they are expressing the deepest regret. The Ninevites acknowledge Jonah is speaking from God and that God is rightfully angry at their sin. They have been wrong and they want his forgiveness. So they humble themselves before God. That's what the people of Nineveh do. More startling, I think, is what happens next, verses 6 through 9. I'll read these out. Uh, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, uh, that's the news of Jonah's message uh, and the people's response, the king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth 
and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. See, the king hears the word of God through Jonah and he believes and he turns to God for forgiveness. It's interesting, isn't it? Jonah's out on the streets. He's prophesying against Nineveh. The king does not send out the guards to have him arrested as an insurrectionist or a foreign agitator. The king doesn't sort of rally the the people around some kind of false patriotism. He doesn't try to silence Jonah. He's not interested in denying the facts, to hold on to national pride. He has the humility to listen to God's word and call for mourning from his people. And notice he also calls them to give up their evil ways and their violence. You see, the king is not just remorseful, he is repentant. This is repentance. Grieve your sin and change your ways. A change of mind and heart that leads to a change of actions. You see, repentance is actually how we take up God's offer of a second chance. If you know you need a second or a third or a fourth or a fiftieth chance, humbly turn to God in repentance. Mind you, the king of Nineveh, there is no mention of forgiveness if the people do repent, right? Do you see verse 9? All he's got is he says, who knows? God may yet relent and, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. You know, quite wonderfully, we have so much more to go on. We know that God so loved us that he sent Jesus, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We can be sure of this. You see, we have concrete and historical evidence of God's mercy in the sending of his son. He urges us to believe what he says, to acknowledge our sin, to turn to him for forgiveness, and he saves us for eternal life. Quite wonderfully, something similar did happen in Nineveh. I'm reading from verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When people turn back to God, trusting his kindness, he is compassionate. Verse 10 says that the Ninevites' response brought about some kind of change for God. He relented. Literally, he changed so that he comforted. That's what the word means. The possibility of destruction from God was real. 
Who knows if the Ninevites had heard of Sodom and Gomorrah or not. But unlike them, the Ninevites turned from their evil. This kind of repentance that takes up God's offer of mercy looks like this. We believe God's word. We recognize that we do deserve God's judgment. And we tell God that we want his forgiveness. And we take steps to put sin away for good. That's what repentance is, right? We, we enact change in response to God's word. Now, mind you, this kind of repentance isn't something that you just sort of stumble into. Uh, it, it's not an emotion. You know, it's like remorse, but with the volume turned up to 11. Okay? That's not repentance. This kind of repentance is a deliberate act. We choose to stop going that way, away from God. And we choose to start going this way, towards God. Now, whether you've been a Christian for years, or whether this is day one, is that something that you would like to do? Through this process, you see, God works forgiveness. He applies the cross of Jesus to us. He absorbs into himself our rebellion against him. He doesn't repay us back with judgment. Instead, he has mercy on us. Indeed, that God could be merciful in this way challenges our readiness to believe it. Don't you think this is outrageous? This book of Jonah, the reluctant missionary prophet eventually turns up in the midst of his despised enemies. He announces, 40 more days before my God's going to destroy you. And at that moment, anything could have happened to Jonah and to the Ninevites. But the Ninevites believe and they turn to God and he relents from judgment. It's amazing that God could have mercy on the enemies of his people. Who'd have thought of that? Who would have imagined that that would be God's intention? The extent of God's mercy challenges our readiness to even believe that that's what God is like. And God could have mercy on the people that we think are the least worthy. I'm not going to take a poll around the room this morning or, you know, internet survey. Who do you think is the least likely person for whom God will extend his mercy? But this is who God is. So great is God's mercy. He'll even have mercy on us. So the extent of God's mercy challenges our readiness to believe it. But his outrageous mercy also challenges our readiness to share it. Previously in the series, we've looked at what Jesus says about Jonah. You remember Jesus is amongst all of the, the skepticism of the religious elite of his day, all of the experts. And he says, no, I will not do a sign and do some miracle at your bidding. 
He says, no sign will be given them except the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days. And immediately we identify, or we join the dots between, oh yes, uh, Jesus uh, was, was dead and rose again, you know, three days. Uh, Jonah, just like that, same, same, right? That's true, but let's not forget that the sign of Jonah also includes the Gentiles turning to God for mercy. The enemies of the Jewish religious elites turn to God when God's word comes to them. They turn to God and he forgives them. So do not think for a moment that God's mercy is not for anyone, anyone at all who will turn to God. God's mercy challenges our readiness to believe it and it challenges our readiness to share it, even with the least likely. At the beginning of our service this morning, Mel gave us a little bit of space, a little bit of time to prepare ourselves to respond to God's word. I want to give you some more space now to figure out what you're going to do with God's word this morning. What will be your response to God's outrageous mercy? I want to give you those 30 seconds.